Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to episode 315 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Saturday night, technically still. It'll be Sunday by the time I'm done recording this on the East Coast. I am joined to celebrate a game one victory by Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm, I'm a little emotionally exhausted. Uh, it's, this, is, uh, this is as good as it gets this time of year, right? This is why you play 162 for a chance to, to play for the World Series and, and advance in the postseason and man. Uh, even though it's only been a year, you were quickly reminded of how stressful and just how much fun and, and great these games can be this time of year. So it's uh, just a, a crazy game and, and lots of lots of stuff to talk about. Yeah, obviously, playoff baseball is fantastic. It is also very stressful when you care about the outcome of the game. And that was the case in this one. It was closely fought. No team led by more than one run in this game. It was two to two for a very, very long time. But Austin Riley, the hero of the evening in the bottom of the ninth, and uh, you gleefully made fun of yourself for wanting to send Austin Riley down uh, earlier this season. Uh, <laughs> we were definitely uh, not as high on Riley as others, and I think we're going to have to eat that one for a long time, and that's totally fine. Yep. But um, what I will say before we dive into this a little bit, and then we'll go backwards from there, it was almost a year to the day. It was October 12th last year, so a little bit over uh, a year. But Riley hit a ninth-inning home run off Blake Trinan, the same pitcher, for the Dodgers in the ninth inning last year, game one NLCS. It wasn't a walk off because it was the uh, it was the top of the ninth in that in that particular instance. But uh, pretty interesting synergy there because Trinan's been really really good. Um, obviously, Riley's been awesome this season. But uh, a true walk off after Ozzy steals second, and I think he would score anyway. Honestly, although I was ready to like laud Ozzy for stealing that base, but I think he probably scores anyway. Mm-hmm. But regardless, Austin Riley's the hero of the night. Yeah, I mean, what a he had a huge hit earlier in the game, and then. You know, Blake Trinan, despite what Riley did to him last year and, you know, an hour ago, um, he is one of the game's premier right-handed relievers. Uh, it was a pitch. It was not a hanger by any means. Riley went around and got it and then dropped it down the left field line. Uh, we, it's been so much fun to watch Riley's trend, you know, progression over the last few months and, and his early season struggles. And then he just caught fire and he's become just such a complete hitter is really, I think what is so remarkable about him. He's not a guy who just hits home runs. He's not a guy who, uh, you know, can, can uh, strike out a lot or work the count. I mean, he does truly everything you want at the plate. And uh, he was certainly one of the heroes tonight and just a, a terrific way to end the game. And as we'll get into uh, the craziness of the later innings here, but just a huge hit for Austin and, uh, what a game for him. Yeah, sort of a true, uh, not, not, that he, not that he needed it because he had this breakout season, but, uh, you know, the biggest moment of his career probably to this point, just because it's a true walk-off in the NLCS, and uh, he was so good this year all the way around. So it was kind of fitting to have that happen at the end of this thing. Um, I guess we can go backwards, but I wanted to make sure that we started there because uh, the celebration is on, and clearly they have a lot of work to do. But what you needed to do in this game for the Braves is hold serve, at home, uh, a big win, particularly when the Dodgers just had a stressful game on Thursday night on the West Coast, had to fly east and all that stuff. If you lose that one, it can be kind of demoralizing in your home park. So to win it in memorable fashion is what they needed in this spot. Um, I guess we'll go back to the beginning briefly here. We will uh, not go excruciating detail as always um, on the podcast, but obviously it's stuff to get into. And I wanted to ask you, um, I'll be honest and say that I was kind of, uh, I was out of, out of pocket for most of the first half of this game was able to see bits and pieces, but uh, I want to know what you thought of, uh, of the Max Fried experience overall, because it seemed like Max was not his best self in terms of stuff in this game. And we'll get into a couple of things I'm sure, but 
honestly, from what I was able to see and glean and all of that stuff, uh, kind of him gutting through the way that he did was uh, relatively huge on a night where uh, every run was meaningful. Yeah, you know, I think it speaks to Max's progression as a young pitcher. We have seen, especially this season, him emerge as one of the game's best left-handed pitchers, um, and especially so since the All-Star break. And the, the Dodgers lineup is so good, and it's so deep. It's one through eight. Everybody can beat you. And on a night where Max did not have his A1 stuff, he was in the middle of the zone a lot. His breaking ball, you know, that curve ball that he relies on so much was staying up in the zone a little bit and he got hit around on it a bit. Um, you know, I, I think it speaks to just how far he has come these last couple seasons as a young pitcher in a huge environment with 40,000 people screaming. I'm sure he was amped up for Max to be able to navigate six innings of only two runs, kept his team in it the whole way. Uh, again, he, he did not have a plus stuff, for, but for him to gut it out and give the Braves a chance to win tonight in a game, they really needed to win. I, I want to, mentioned there's a lot of talk of well it was a bullpen game for the Dodgers and it was um, and they have three really really good starting pitchers who we're going to see the next three nights but you know the Dodgers bullpen is really good and it's really deep and Freed knew that and he had very little room for error and frankly until the ninth inning there was no room for error uh, so just a, I think a testament to just how how far Max has come and um, he gutted through some innings it seemed like the Dodgers also just kept finding little holes to hit the ball uh, a lot of ground balls against the shift, a lot of bloops, uh, other than the one ball the, to Will Smith. He really didn't get hit hard all night. Uh, and for him to give the Braves a chance to win is just speaks volumes to what, what Max was able to do. For sure. Uh, and the Will Smith thing, we'll, we'll come back to um, the Dodgers Will Smith. I know it's always funny to talk about Will Smith in this series because there are two of them, but we'll get into both at some point on this podcast. The Braves actually did strike first in the first inning, kind of a uh, – an interesting way to score Eddie Rosario leading off in this game, which is interesting in itself almost um, advances the second on, on a steal, uh, then moves to third on a ground out and scores on a wild pitch. So it was like the most interesting non uh, you know, non Braves on brand way to score. Yeah. This has been a very, very much a long ball power team this year. And their first run in the LCS was a guy who, I don't think has he ever let off for the Braves. I don't know. Rosario no, maybe did at so. some point, but uh, the first time he's ever let off for the Braves, potentially uh, singles and just kind of matriculates around the bases, which is kind of funny. Yeah, no, it wasn't sexy by any means, but hey, you take every single run that you can get. Doesn't matter if you hit the ball 500 feet or if you. I mean, Rosario hit the ball well to lead off the game, which was a good sign, um, especially against Corey Canable, who has some good stuff. Uh, but you're right. I mean, a, a a single, he stole second on on a Freddie Freeman strikeout. We'll talk about Freddie's rough night a little bit later. Um, but then moved over on a ground ball from Ozzy, and then and then a wild pitch or a pass ball. I'm not sure what they called it. It was a kind of a harmless first run, but a run that we will certainly take. Uh, they called it a wild pitch, I believe. Once that once they changed it, and I'm I should correct myself. Eddie Rosario let off once September second in Colorado for the Braves. So. Second time for Eddie Rosario. Really? In Atlanta. Uh, yeah, I, I okay. didn't know that. I looked it up as we were talking because uh, I was not sure. I wanted to be sure. And yeah, according to baseball reference, he let off. Uh, he he kind of makes sense, especially against a right-handed bullpen option. Yes. Um, I, I think so. You probably don't want Jock leading off. You'd probably prefer his power bat in the middle of the order. Uh, we've talked about Dansby. I think Dansby's better served in the middle or back end of the of the lineup. So I, I was I was pleasantly surprised to see Rosario leading off today. And I would imagine as long as Jorge Soler is out, it'll probably be rosario until game four when uh urias is, is scheduled to start yeah and quickly on that front for uh for solaire basically snicker talked about this before the game started and said that they're preparing to play the series without him um he's he is eligible to return um during the series because he's on the COVID il he can come back at any time but uh, all indications are that like he it might be a while. I don't know what's happening there in terms of the day-to-day, -day, but Snicker, you know, matter-of-factly was talking about how they're preparing to be without him. So, and in, uh, in sort of in that stead, they go with Rosario. I, I imagine because they won today in part as well, they might stick with the lineup tomorrow. You know, they're facing Scherzer, which is a little bit different animal than a bullpen game, but uh, still, you know, might be interesting to see Rosario in that spot. Um, of course, quickly after that, the Dodgers tie it. That was kind of the theme of this game for eight and a half innings. Um with a two out, actually it was all two out damage. It was a, it was a double by AJ Pollock and then a Chris, Harvey, a Chris Taylor RBI single to tie it. And that was the first run allowed by Freed in the playoffs. And this is of course <laughs> uh, his third outing in the playoffs. Um, so yeah, interesting. Uh, Max Freed, 
pretty good until then. I mean, even then, I think he was still fine. I mean, I, I saw the replays of both of these plays. It wasn't like he was just getting absolutely annihilated on either one of these things. No, he, he was not. And again, I, I noted about midway through the game, there was an inning where the Braves hit two line drives. Travis Darno nearly homered. And then Dansby Swanson crushed one right at the center fielder. And uh, for a game the Braves won, the luck on balls put in play was not in their favor. Um, I think that goes back to, to Max. He gave up eight hits. Um, six of them were singles. And other than maybe one, none of them were hit particularly hard. Um, again, at the end of the day, a single is a single, whether you crush it or hit it uh, 40 feet like Ozzy did in, in, for one of his singles tonight. But uh, yeah, it, again, Max was, was very, very impressive. He was. Um... So from there, it's kind of back and forth, back and forth, a bloop single by Trey Turner, who just always bothers the Braves, but they get out of that in the third inning. In the fourth was the uh, the exchange of home runs. So the first two runs were on small ball stuff on both sides. Fourth inning was marked by home runs. Will Smith launching an 0-2 pitch over the wall. Um, you know, not Max's worst pitch, but certainly was hit hard. Uh, and also the first time, I think this is a stat that you pointed out, um, the first time in five starts that Frieda has allowed more than one run uh, in basically more than a month. That's how good he's been recently. And um, we'll get into this later on, I bet. But uh, I dared to say that Charlie Morton was the number one starter on the Braves today. and got yelled at a lot for that. <laughs> People are uh, very, very excited about Max, as they should be. But I thought it was pretty funny that we've, we've come a long way with Max Frieda to the point where, I literally was getting people screaming at me for even insinuating that he may not be the number one starter on the team. So <laughs> it's a good problem to have this time. I, of year. I suppose like having two guys that are really good uh, and Charlie yeah. Morton's making a lot of money and he's very old. But uh, anyway, that was the one real mistake. And even then, not even the mistake. Like it was kind of one because anything that gets hit over the fence, is, this is the major leagues. There's no margin for error. But uh, that was the one sort of real blemish. Yeah. I mean, Will Smith. Braves don't see Will Smith a ton just being in Los Angeles, but holy cow. I mean, this kid, it seems like every time the Braves play the Dodgers, he somehow punishes them. He had some huge hits in last year's NLCS. Um, even during the regular season against the Braves, I think he had two home runs. Uh, he, he just turned on a fastball inside and, and hit it high and over the wall. Uh, but again, thankfully, the theme of the night was there was just no margin for error and, and the Braves battled back. They did, you know, and it was it was Riley uh, smoking one down the left field line. Uh, that ball was a frozen rope line drive. Like you know, Riley was capable of hitting some majestic fly ball home runs. That was more of a just absolutely, you know, just crush job. Uh, relatively low, like he stuck it around the foul pole as well. Uh, yeah. Off the bat, I was thinking like, is this going to stay fair? I think everybody was kind of thinking that, and it was pretty close to not being, but it was obviously smoked. And uh, of course, he has the the big hit later on as well. But uh, honestly, the better swing was probably that first one in the fourth inning. So, uh, I mean, yeah. what what can he do? Scott? Yeah, he, he's so impressed. I want to. Uh... <laughs> It's not even Braves related. Did you see, Uh-oh. I know you were busy tonight, uh, Tony Gonsolin's cleats, his cat cleats? Uh, I got several messages about this. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, I was uh, doing some research on, on these. But, yes, he's a very interesting human being uh, dating back to previous postseasons. I, did, I, I, I definitely knew that, so I wasn't, like, too surprised. But, yes, uh, did you have a take on this? Is that uh, or did you want No, to I was just, absurd? when he came in, I was just very impressed with his cat cleats. I'm more <laughs> of a dog person. Uh, you know, I, I'm more of a dog guy, but uh, more of a dog hey, guy, yes. whatever works. Um, speaking of Max Fried, uh, Elias Sports and ESPN just tweeted this, um, and I missed this during the game. Uh, Max Fried threw 23 consecutive strikes against the Dodgers tonight. Uh, okay, sure. That is the first time in more than 20 years that a pitcher has thrown 23 straight strikes in a playoff game. What a great stat from Elias Sports. Um, but again, 23 consecutive <laughs> strikes. I don't know when exactly this On a happened. night when he wasn't even his best, which is also right. interesting. So, I mean, yeah. holy smokes. I mean, I, I missed it. I don't think anyone picked it up other than Elias Sports, which picks up everything. That's their job. Yep. But uh, wow. Anyway, I just wanted to, to jump that in. But while we're still talking about Max and, and his great night. Yeah. I mean, from there, I suppose we can talk about the fifth inning, which was kind of a, you know, a lucky break, we could say. You know, Mookie Betts lines one at Ozzy uh, in a shift for a double play that could have gotten dangerous on Max, uh, particularly when Trey Turner then singled and stole a base. Uh, he, he actually had a pretty good pitch to uh, Corey Seager to get out of the inning. And in the bottom half, Travis Darno hits, hits one that I think 
everyone thought was gone for some length of time. Uh, I'm not sure if it was a chip carry situation for all of us, but it seemed <laughs> yeah. like uh, both on Twitter and uh, anecdotally, it was like, oh, everyone thought that ball, that, that ball was gone. And maybe, maybe Darno is like 100% healthy. Uh, it's gone. He's yeah. obviously not quite been himself this year, but the fifth inning could have got dicey in either direction, I suppose. And just hmm. nothing happened, yeah. I guess. I think on a warm July afternoon, that ball from Darno goes over the fence. Uh, it was chilly tonight. It looked like, and and again, it's obviously it's hard enough to hit a baseball when it's perfect conditions. And then it was what I don't know, upper forties, low fifties tonight in Atlanta. It looked pretty chilly, but it's like one of the coldest nights of the year so far, which is very interesting when uh, playoff baseball arrives. But yeah, obviously, as someone who lives in Atlanta, it's not been this cool like for six months. <laughs> and then today, it's yeah. having to be having to be cold in October baseball. I guess it's probably fitting in some ways, but yeah, there you go, October baseball, playing the snow. That's always, that's always fun. Snow. No snow in Atlanta just yet. Maybe by, maybe by the World Series, but I'm ching. Uh, anyway, <laughs> sixth inning, breezes through. Max gets out of, uh, I, guess, I, guess it wasn't, I guess it wasn't breezy. They, uh, Justin Turner got to third base. I will note this. I think I wrote this down. Yeah. Uh, at one point in this game, the Dodgers had left a runner in scoring position in five out of seven innings, and they had six guys, and they had a runner on base in six of the seven innings, and the Braves had had one runner in scoring position the entire game at that point. Yeah. Uh, it just so, man, it, it not to make excuses and and hey, good on the Dodgers, but it seemed like every inning they just had again, they weren't hitting the ball hard. They were just hitting it where nobody was. And obviously that's the name of the game. Get on base, get a hit. Uh, but yeah, that was a little frustrating. It was like good. And then they had a, a bloop double later in the game that was really frustrating. It was like, man, these guys are good enough as it is. They have like nine all-stars on the roster. How many bloop singles do they do they need here? Uh, thankfully, it ended up not hurting the Braves, but I did want to point out uh, they certainly had some some good juju working on their side tonight. They did. And we'll get into this at the end. Uh, we'll talk about the Braves offense and how like not impressive it actually was. But uh, even with all the, and I agree with you, uh, just anecdotally, especially. But even with all that, the Dodgers actually had the higher expected batting average in this game by like 40 points and uh, obviously like almost twice as many hits. So some of them were of the blue variety, but it did feel like. You know, maybe it's just because the Braves had a bad night offensively, except for Austin Riley, but a weird one in a lot of ways. But, you know, the Dodgers both maybe didn't earn all the opportunities that they had, but also just had a bunch and didn't cash them in, which you can't necessarily rely on, but it's a one-game yeah. sample size in the playoffs. So you just gotta, <laughs> yeah. got to get through the night, I suppose. Yeah, uh, no, that that's fair. You're, I mean, you're right. The Braves, uh, again, they won the game, but other than Austin Riley, uh, not a lot nobody... I mean, yeah. as noted before, the first inning run was because Eddie Rosario, not a noted speedster, singled and did nothing else but run around the bases. So yeah. <laughs> was like, uh, was like the, and one, of the and one of the other singles uh, from Ozzy went all of like 40, 40 feet down the third base line. So, yes, I mean, yes. thank goodness the Braves found a way to win this game. That's what good teams do. They find ways to win close games, especially in the postseason. You're not going to win every game 9 nothing. Um, but yes, there were some some concerns tonight for the Braves offensively. That's probably accurate to say. Um, on the on the plus side, the run prevention was quite good. You know, no one scored a run in the fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth inning on either side. And it's time to highlight the work of the bullpen. Um, you know, Freed sits after six innings. He was again, as we talked about a lot, effective enough. Um, it's Matzik and then Jackson, and then Smith. And Matzik gave up a, a leadoff bloop double. Very weird play in some respects. Ends up being a double because Trey Turner is, again, quite fast. Um, but worked around it, gets Mookie, Mookie Betts to pop up. Uh, was, wait, was it was it Trey Turner or Justin Turner had the bloop double? I'm, like, blanking now. I can't remember. Uh, Chris Turner. No, Chris Taylor had the bloop <laughs> double. They have too many Taylors. Turners and uh, Taylors. Uh, Taylors. So my apologies on that. Um, and they all seemingly never make an out against the Braves. That's, yeah, that's a fun common notes denominator. Are fun. Notes yeah. are fun. Uh, anyway, a blue double by someone from the Dodgers. Uh, and Matzik gets out of that with a, with a good job. And then Joe Kelly, uh, who's the most boring person in America, comes in, gets three straight, <laughs> out, three straight outs, and that's the end of that. Um, and then Luke, Luke, by the way, Luke Jackson comes in. He's been awesome all year. We've, we've definitely done a decent job of lauding him. He looked unhittable basically in that in the eighth inning tonight not trying to jinx it or anything but Luke looked every bit of, as dominant as he possibly could look in the eighth uh the only thing I wanted to ask you uh, is in the uh, bottom of the eighth they hit Adrianza um for the pitcher he's the first person used off the bench in this game I had no issue with that whatsoever I'm not trying to criticize the the move but I'm not sure if you heard this the the booth on the broadcast was uh I guess trying to praise Adrianza and saying that, you know, 
something like he was the clear choice or the best bet, whatever, whatever the phrasing was um, as the best pinch hitter for the Braves, or like the ace, something like that. And I, I had this realization. I think I tweeted it too. I was like, that may be right given the current situation in on the bench without what, you know, with Jock starting and Rosario starting. Um, but that is a kind of a sad state of affairs when Audrey, and this is not a shot at Adrianza, but when, People are like with a straight face saying he's your best pinch hitter and you're and you're in the NLCS. It's kind of insane because Andre yeah. was like a fringe guy on the roster five months ago and now he's seemingly your best pinch hitter in yeah. the NLCS. I don't know. It's weird, man. Yeah, especially with the uh, loss of Jorge Soler because then you, yeah, you have obviously. to play. You have to play Jock. But I mean, you could probably argue that Jock should be playing every night the way he's been going. Well, Jock, but... e- either way, Jock or Rosario or Duvall, they all have to play. Right. So, so it's like those are your pitch hitters and they're all playing. Yes. Yeah, so, right. I mean, at this point, the Braves don't have really any inspiring uh, pinch hit options. It seems to be a theme every October. But um, as we've said, that's a discussion for another day. And it's hard to always have a lot of great depth. Not everyone can be. Uh, the Dodgers with a $300 million payroll. But yeah, I mean, Adrianza had some big hits back in like April and May, but since then he really hasn't been a factor. Uh, Johan Camargo is on the roster, which was a little bit of a surprise, but Whew. I mean, I don't think you're giving Johan any kind of an important at bat in, in a no, playoff I'm, spot. Again, I'm not even saying it was the crazy thing is yeah. I'm, I'm not sure he's even wrong. Cause like, who do you put out there? I mean, yeah, all I mean, of your maybe. guys that you would trust are starting. I mean, it's 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 Heredia, it's Adrianza. I mean, we've kind of poked fun at Orlando Garcia being like a primary option. Like, I'd rather have Adrianza than him. Yeah, um, Terrence Gore's off the roster now, but you don't want to hit Pache. Like, it's not like you have any. <laughs> there are no great options. It's no. just kind of it was a, it was a stark realization in that moment, particularly because of how deep the Dodgers are that. They were saying it, and as I was hearing it, I was like, that can't be – wait, it is right, I guess, maybe. Um, so anyway, it's yeah. sort of a non-sequitur, but it was uh, just a weird thing to hear and then also just have confirmed in my brain. Um, yeah, yeah. All right, before we get to the ninth, and we'll obviously look ahead a little bit from there, a good time to hear from our sponsors on the podcast. We'll be right back to talk about the rest of the uh, contest and the rest of the NLCS. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Scott. Uh, the ninth inning, we know what happens with Riley walking off in the bottom half. Uh, Will Smith decided to scare everyone again, uh, at least a little bit. Uh, he got actually got two outs in a pretty quick fashion. And then allows a single to Cody Bellinger. And then one of the weirder base running plays I've ever seen, Chris Taylor, I don't know what he was trying to do. I don't know what the thought process was. I thought he was going to be pretty safely, pretty easily safe at, at third if he was just running hard. Why was he running with two outs? I have, I have several questions. Yeah. Uh, but all of them worked out well for the Braves because clearly, you know, they, Smith might have gotten out of it anyway. He has a, a sort of a knack for that. But a Adam Duvall slash Braves like sequence <laughs> on the next pass from, from Chris Taylor. And then, oh, man, I, I don't know what Chris Taylor was doing. And it wasn't like, you know, it's interesting looking back at the play. It just got past um, Albies, who was in a shift in short right field. Uh, Jock charged the ball well, but he almost, I mean, he did. He threw it to second base. He threw it to Dansby, who was at second, to presumably keep runners on first and third and, and keep the force and all of that. 
yep. uh, which is fine. But it wasn't like Jock just ripped one to third and Taylor just kind of saw it out of the back of his, you know, back of his head and thought, oh, there's no chance I'm going to flip around here. He was truly like 50% of the way between second and third. So I don't know. I mean, at that point, you almost have to commit to going because if you you turn it and try to get back, as we saw, you're not gonna uh, you're not gonna get back to second at that point. Um, it's worth noting Dansby Swanson made a tremendous pick on that throw from Jock. Um, yeah. That ball was a short hop, and Dansby plucked it right out of the ground. Um, so it's worth noting that. And then they executed a rundown. I, I haven't seen a quote or anything like that from the Dodgers post game yet, but I would be fascinated to know if, if Chris Taylor had anything to say about it or what he saw or what his mindset was, but what a gift. I mean, seriously, what a gift and not only a gift, but you look at who's coming up next. It's Mookie Betts would come up with two runners on in a tie game. I think Will Smith had just thrown his 17th or 18th pitch of the inning. So he was getting up there a little bit. And you talk about a possible snowball. You have Mookie Betts. Then you have Trey Turner. Then you have Corey Seager. I mean, that, that game could have really gotten out of hand in the ninth inning there. And credit to Jock and Dansby and Riley for executing the, the rundown uh, because it really did. It, it changed the game, and uh, it was a gift. And thankfully, the Braves took advantage of it in the bottom half of the ninth. Yeah, for sure. Can't say anything else about that. I'm trying to find out right now, actually, as we're talking about Dave Roberts, maybe he said anything about um, about the base running blunder. I think the only thing that I that I can find that he said was basically that you have to make up your situation, make up your mind in the situation whether to go to second or go to third, and you can't like go in between, which is exactly what what uh, <laughs> Taylor actually did. I mean, I think yeah. you know, I'm not saying this is impossible. You, you kind of have, you know, it's a pressure situation. You might have just had a brain fart there, but it was a, a highly profitable one for the Braves because uh, not that he was definitely going to score again, but I think if he just runs hard, he's at third. If he stops, he's at second and they're in business in some respects. And it's a tie game at that point and uh, just a huge, huge play. And uh, one thing that I wanted to note, Cody Bellinger, uh, who, who got a single in this spot to set that up for, for uh, Taylor, Taylor's mishap. Bellinger had a 12 WRC plus against lefties this year. This is a former like MVP level player, and he had he had a 12 WRC plus against lefties this year. Hmm. Not not a mistake, 12. Uh, granted, he was terrible against righties too, just not quite as bad. He had a uh, the year from hell this year, but uh, that was also kind of I'm not sure if unlucky is the word I would use, but unfortunate that he even got a single because he's just been so brutal and he's facing a lefty there in Will Smith. So uh, a lot of things to take into account in the ninth inning. But yeah, he's a he's a weird guy. I mean, honestly, Very, you think about some of the recent national league MVPs, he was an MVP and then had a couple bad years. Christian Yelich, who we just saw was an MVP is not like himself anymore. was yeah. going to be a perennial, you know, perennial all-star and, and hasn't been great and has some injury. Yeah. It was, I'm glad you mentioned that. You're right. And it was, uh, <laughs> it's very Dodgers of them. And again, they have $300 million payroll because they can sign anybody they want. They can trade away whatever prospect. Like I get it. They're operating on a different set of rules than basically everyone else. Um, but how, how nice is it to be able to sit Cody Bellinger in a postseason game? And I, I guess, you know, with the splits, Albert Pujols, I mean, honestly, in a game like that, it might even go with Bellinger over Pujols, but what a nice, wouldn't it be nice to bring a former NL MVP off the bench, even if he isn't uh, his old self. Yeah. It's not like he's, 35 either isn't cody bellinger like 25 like <laughs> i mean man at 25 i'm looking this up now yeah no he he's is, he's uh, a young guy still he's he 26 years old this yeah. is a former mvp who's healthy and 26 and he didn't start tonight yeah and they have max muncie is hurt and he's like a current he's like a current mvp level player and he did and he's hurt anyway mm-hmm. they're insane in terms of their roster but it doesn't matter because the scoreboard is hey Scoreboard, um, you're right. <laughs> exactly. Right now, it's one nothing. So, uh, obviously, Riley walks it off. We don't have to go through that again. I do want to point out quickly, uh, it's really nice to have Ozzy Albies, not only because he's just awesome, but uh, when your star-level second baseman can go out there in a situation where, like, everyone's ready for you to steal, and he gets an incredible jump, and it wasn't even close. Again, yeah. they didn't need him to steal, I guess, now, because Riley, he probably scores there because Ozzy's very fast, and it kind of – almost got to the wall, if not, if, if, maybe even did get to the wall in left field. But uh, Austin getting to second there is like not, sorry, not, Ozzy getting to second there is not, not a small thing. Like that, putting a guy in right square position there who can score on anything from second base is like, puts a lot of pressure on the defense. Yeah. And it was, 
you're right. I mean, I'm almost surprised. I, I know uh, I'm trying to think Did Trenton even throw over to first at any point. There? I don't remember. I mean, honestly, he had him dialed. I mean, that, that the jump Ozzy got was, and I mean, I, I, I'd say credit to Frank Cora on the broadcast too. He said it multiple times, like he, it was perfectly executed and it was not close. And Ozzy is yeah. really fast, but he's not like, you know, Vince Coleman in his prime. Like he's a good base dealer, but he's not someone that just like does that all the time. He uses his speed, but mm. he had him. I'm not sure he saw something or what, but there was no throwing him. No one's throwing him out in that spot. That's, that's how good the jump was. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking at the game log here. Actually, Trina did throw over twice. And then Ozzy went on the very first pitch and it was a slider. So it, it's much better to go on an 82 mile an hour slider than a, you know, upper 90s fastball. Uh, it wouldn't have mattered, yeah. man. I'm telling you, that, that's, yeah. how, that's, Huge. That's, how much, that's how much he got. He got off the yeah. back. Huge was, jump. Yeah, not going to be close. Yeah. Um, anyway, obviously, from there, he walks it off. And we can sort of transition now, um, knowing that they won this game and we celebrated all the performances. And I, I want to just shine a light on the bullpen one more time. Three, three scoreless innings from Matzik, Jackson, and Smith tonight. That trio has now thrown 12 and a third scoreless in the postseason. Those three mm-hmm. guys. Yeah. That is absolutely lights out. And particularly when we all know that like Snicker kind of manages to those three guys, like he likes to go seven, eight, nine with those three because they're been good all year long. And I, I understand that on some level, but the combination of that being the way that the team is handling it. And also those guys being awesome has been very, very helpful because the game is just kind of shut down after five and a half, six innings. Yeah. It's very much been the formula. Get your starter to go six innings, ideally, and then hand it over. And again, uh, it, it can't be said enough. We talked about the unsung heroes of the NLDS being Matzik and, and uh, Luke Jackson, especially, and even Will Smith had three scoreless appearances despite a, a little bit of traffic on the base paths. But uh, yeah, not only have they been good, but whenever they've gotten hit a little bit, they haven't been hit hard. Like again, there was just some bad luck. Will Smith gave up that bloop double to Chris Taylor. It was like, man, come on. Like <laughs> these guys are good enough. They don't, they don't need all this fortunate uh, luck here. And, and again, just some, some strong pitching out of those three. And if the Braves are able to keep this going, it'll be a, a real testament to their work because uh, outside of those three, I mean, I guess AJ Minter was warming up tonight. He probably would have been next up in the 10th inning. If that continues, he should um, be also <laughs> like, he's very clearly their fourth best guy. I mean, yeah, Minter, yeah. Minter was the only guy they pitched. Was it was it game four or game three when he looked incredible against Milwaukee? When he came in and just looked like he was yeah. shot out of a cannon, like he he, he looked dominant. And that, I've I've always kind of wondered why they don't use Minter more, but hard to argue with the results at the moment. So yeah, he's he's probably the fourth. Uh, Jesse Chavez, I, I trust decently. He's been uh, you know he's yeah. he's not sexy out there, but uh, he's fine. But you're right. I mean, the formula has very much been. Ooh, Chris Martin's back. We should talk about that. He's on on the roster, Scott. Uh, Martin, uh, just in case anybody missed this, Camargo, who we referenced earlier, replaced Terrence Gore, and they brought uh, Chris Martin in to replace Dylan Lee, uh, plus Pache still on the roster. I just, we kind of knew that was coming. You know, Sticker kind of telegraphed it by saying, I think twice, that, you know, Martin and Rodriguez were uh, not out of their plans necessarily. And uh, he picked one of them. I don't know if he'll pitch in the series, but uh, Chris Martin, not totally out of our lives at the moment. So. Mm. It's uh, it, it is. I I'm glad you mentioned Chris Martin being on the roster, but Richard Rodriguez for the second series a row in a row is not. Uh, you talk about and that's the right move. I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, you talk about how he was really successful those first couple of weeks after the trade deadline, but it, again, it was. I'm glad you mentioned that. It is worth noting, of course. I think most everybody knows who is on the roster at this point, but that was a a little bit of a surprise. Yeah. It was. Anyway, uh, the bullpen's been awesome. Hopefully that continues. And we sort of teased it earlier, but the offense was truly bad in this game. They had six hits, 14 strikeouts, no walks. Uh, Freddie had four strikeouts for the first time ever in a playoff game. He looked very bad by his standards. Um, take Riley away, and it was, uh, was kind of ugly. You know, not only Riley, but, you know, to win a game when your offense did this against a Dodgers bullpen game, like it was like they were facing Scherzer tonight and this is this is the kind of line that you expect to get Scherzer and it was against you know six different guys but uh gotta feel like you kind of stole one here given all of what transpired between Freed not having it uh and the offense really not doing much of anything uh it's kind of crazy they won this game if you just if, if all I tell you is Max Freed has his like c plus stuff 
and the offense has six hits, 14 strikeouts, and no walks, do they win the game, Scott? I'm going to say no. <laughs> Probably not, but you're right. I mean, you, you find a way to win one. You steal this. Um, tonight was not a must-win game because it's a best of seven. But, I mean, look look at everything that was going on here. You're at home. The Giant or the Dodgers uh, just had to travel all the way across the country. They played on Thursday night, so less than 48 hours later. Truist Park is rocking. You have Max Freed, who has been your best starter over the last two months on the mound. Uh, the Dodgers do have a good bullpen, but it is a bullpen game nonetheless. Uh, it, it was not a must win, but it was a you really should win, I think is probably how I would describe it. And credit to them, they battled. And Austin Riley was the big hero tonight. Uh, they take a 1-0 series lead, and, and now you have to try to win three more. But to win this game, I think everybody just feels so much better. I mean, it's kind of Captain Obvious that you want to win game <laughs> one in a best of seven. Like, you know, thanks, Can't, can't confirm. Yes. Um, but obviously, if it's game one and it's freed against Max Scherzer, it's a little different than if it's freed versus the Dodgers bullpen. Um, or if it was freed against Scherzer and it, and it was in Los Angeles and not in Atlanta. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. I think people are getting the point here, but it was a big win, and and again on a night where the offense was not exactly crushing the ball, uh, it was really a, a big game, and and now you have a chance to go up 2-0 and hopefully protect home field. To echo what you said there, you know, if you believe in markets, you know, on this podcast, if you're a listener uh, all the time, or if you're just popping in now, I always like to share the projections and the uh, the betting market stuff, and. Uh, the Dodgers were like a pretty big favorite in the series uh, in the betting market and the projected systems. And that's not a huge surprise given their talent level and their performance. But I say all that to say they were a pretty big favorite in the series. And yet the game tonight in game one was basically a coin flip in the market. And that is because the Braves had their best possible pitching situation. Maybe you could say Morton if you wanted to you know, pick nits there between those two guys, but essentially one of their, one of their big two pitchers against a bullpen game for the Dodgers and having the game in Atlanta is the best case scenario for Atlanta on paper coming into the game. And they were still like a coin flip in the market. So that kind of tells you what the, what the market thinks. I know Braves fans don't think that way. And I totally understand that as well, but kind of goes to say how big it is to get this win, because this is definitely the best situation you're going to see in the series on paper is having one of your big two against not one of the big three for the Dodgers. So Anyway, um, looking ahead, they go to Ian Anderson in game two, a mild surprise. We'll talk about that in a second. And it's going to be Max Scherzer for the Dodgers. Uh, Max Scherzer is a future Hall of Famer. Uh, he's been awesome in the playoffs. That's obviously a good situation for the Dodgers and a bad one for the Braves. He's not unhittable. The Braves have had some success against Scherzer in the past. But uh, clearly, he's an upper echelon pitcher, um, both you know in the, in the last 15 years and also right now. Um, I was all set to argue with you, Scott. It's a rare situation where you and I don't like fully agree. And we were going to kind of argue about uh, Anderson versus Morton in game two. And Snicker kind of poured some water on that because he kind of revealed uh, before the game that their decision to start Ian was basically only because they wanted to give Morton the extra rest. And Mm -hmm. I I did this whole tweet thread about it, all this stuff. and, And I kind of said, the only reason that I would accept in my mind as a good reason to not pitch Charlie Morton in game two would be that if the Braves thought that he couldn't be Charlie Morton in game yeah. two. And that kind of, you know, he didn't say that, but I think Snicker not getting any other rationale is kind of a, a wink to the fact that they weren't sure Charlie was going to have like his normal stuff tomorrow. Yeah, there was, this was a very contested point on talking chop and on Twitter and wherever you get your Braves news, there was a lot of discussion and some disagreement. Brad's right. I mean, it's funny. When I first heard, they announced a couple of days ago that they might push Charlie Morton to game three in Los Angeles and opt for Ian Anderson in game two. My, my immediate reaction was, why would you voluntarily push Morton back to the point where he's only guaranteed one start in the series? Yep. And unless you go seven and, and it's, possible i mean these two teams went seven last year and in the playoffs you get game sevens fairly often but you're by pushing charlie back to game three and the way the schedule breaks down you're almost guaranteeing that you're only going to get one start out of out of charlie at least a fully 100 percent normal rest start unless it goes seven games then he would be uh, fully rested for game seven which is not a terrible scenario but it's a scenario that may never come uh, however if 
we don't know how Charlie is feeling physically. He did. He didn't throw a ton of innings or pitches on short rest on Tuesday afternoon as the Braves clinched against the Brewers. Um, but he did throw on, on shorter rest. He's 37 and a half years old. He has thousands of innings on his arm. We don't know his physical state. Um, so I, I think for that reason, if, if you feel that Charlie is better with another 48 hours of rest in game three, he's pitched on the road in the postseason before, uh, whether or not you want to fully buy into that as a thing. Uh, Ian Anderson also has some decent splits of on at home versus the road, though he, of course, is not a longtime veteran where you can just point to those as, as a guarantee. Um, so I kind of got it. Again, I, I don't feel super strongly one way or the other, and we'll see how it works out. I think people are still a little sunburned from when the Braves opted to not pitch Mike Soroka until oh, game more, more, three. More than a little. There was the, <laughs> the Soroka references, including myself, they were flying today on text, oh, yeah. on Twitter. Like, And that is uh, that's this thing that, I mean, I, I do feel fairly strongly that if uh, if they thought Morton would be himself, in game two, I would have really hated this and I was ready to kind of rant about it. Yeah. But Snicker did just give the, you know, we, we can't know. That's something that I, I think we do a decent job of saying, but it's worth uh, sort of emphasizing now. There are certain things we just can't know on the outside. And one of them is just how a pitcher is feeling physically, um, yeah. particularly when that, when that pitcher is 37 years old and coming <laughs> off a short rest yeah. uh, start. Yes, he's on full rest right now, but full rest after a short rest and he's an older guy and um, if they think and their training staff thinks that he just uh, can't be himself, then that's a, that's good enough for me. I mean, if he was normal and they thought that, I would have really, really, really not liked not pitching him in game two. I, yeah. I think for all the reasons that you mentioned, I am not a fan of uh, overweighting home road splits. Like, I mean, yes, Ian's probably more comfortable at home, but he pitched. I mean, I know it wasn't like in front of 50,000 people, but he had some really high impact starts in the playoffs last year. I think I wouldn't worry too much about the venue with him. That's not really a reason that resonates with me. And I do, I do sort of lean to pitching your best guys as much as humanly possible. And for me with the Braves, I do think that Anderson is, is good, but I think the Braves have a clear top two and those guys are Max Fried and Charlie Morton. So uh, it's going to be frustrating if the Braves lose this series uh, in less than seven games. But uh, you win tonight, and that becomes less of a possibility. Could they lose the series in six games still? Sure, they could. But uh, that's the only way this is going to become like a meme is if they lose in five or six. Uh, but other than that, I think Snicker just coming out and saying, look, we wanted to give Charlie some extra rest. Like, I can't really argue with that, even if I just uh, – I'd love to see Martin pitching on Sunday. Yeah. Well, and, and now you just mentioned since the Braves won tonight, it, it brings an interesting – scenario because now you have Max Scherzer who is very good against Ian Anderson who I I don't believe correct me if I'm wrong I believe he has he lost have the Braves lost the postseason start of his yet uh, I don't think so I'm looking this up now but I, I know he has a sub one ERA in the playoffs and has not allowed a run in four of the five appearances yeah uh, I'm he, looking to see if they've actually lost a game with him on the mound I will be able to tell you that within he, about five seconds yeah he might have started either game five six yeah, or they seven they lost they lost game seven he, he, he pitched game seven and that's the only time he's ever allowed a run in the playoffs was yeah. game seven last year against the Dodgers he went three innings got up two runs it was not his best self and of course they lost that game but uh they are four and one in his starts yeah. and all four of the wins have, have featured Ian throwing shutout innings. Yeah. So he has shown that he, he can be a big game pitcher. This is not the Braves throwing Waskar Enoa out there tomorrow in favor of Charlie Morton. Then I would be like, like, what are we doing? Yeah. Um, I get that. I think just again, because they won tonight and granted they did make this decision before knowing the outcome of tonight's game, but you start to play out the scenarios in your head a little bit. And it's like, man, if the Braves can win on Sunday night, you're suddenly up 2-0 and you have big game Charlie Morton granted on the road and, and ready to face Walker Bueller, but suddenly you're up 2-0. You have Charlie Morton on the mound in game three. On full slash extra rest. Which exactly. Yep. Um, or even if you even if you do lose on Sunday night and it's 1-1, then you, you also probably feel a little bit better knowing that you're giving the ball to Charlie Morton in what becomes a very important game three on the road in front of 50,000 people and the loudest PA system on the entire planet at Dodger <laughs> Stadium. Like literally you get a headache if you're sitting. That's I never funny. forget. I sat in the upper deck uh, probably five years ago at Dodger Stadium on like a Sunday afternoon in July. And you genuinely get a headache after like four hours. It is so 
ungodly loud. Uh, so you can imagine what it's going to be like on Tuesday night in game three. Uh, but alas, yes, there was a lot of discussion on this. I'm, I'm glad that we at least had semi different feelings. Uh, so we weren't just not. Oh, I was ready. I mean, people I'm sure are tired of us uh, agreeing on most things. I was ready to argue with you, Scott. I was all prepared. Yeah. I, had, I had I had data and all, all kinds of stuff. And now I have to hold it for another time. Yeah. But uh. alas, we will see what happens uh, at that point in time. But also to illustrate what we we're talking about, about the matchups. Um, Scherzer on the mound versus Anderson. I'm looking at the betting market right now for tomorrow. Uh, again, it's early and this is, uh, this is, you know, it's midnight or so Eastern times we're recording this. Uh, FanDuel has one example. They have the Dodgers at minus 188 for tomorrow. Um, the Braves at, one, at plus like 160 uh, Westgate's in that same range. So essentially like a 60 cent move from game one uh, based on Scherzer. Uh, Scherzer, the upgrade for the Dodgers starter and a, and a probably a slight, but still a downgrade from Freed Anderson. So uh, on paper, I'll, I'll be surprised if I see anyone, anyone outside of Atlanta pick the Braves in game two. <laughs> Just because Max Scherzer hey. is uh, Max Scherzer is famous. Max Scherzer is a Hall, is a Hall of Famer, and uh, the Dodgers are good. So yeah, hey, keep it going. I mean, I what a run this has been. I think it's been unbelievable. The, we should talk about it now. Let's just, just spend some time because I mean, this, this entire thing for what I, I will say generously the last like three months, two and a half. Yeah, months. I mean, since that first week in August when they finally started to win some games, they started with that sweep against the Cardinals. It was really the last time the Cardinals lost consecutive games was when the Braves came to town and then the Cardinals went nuclear. Um, but as we've and seen fired their, this, and fired their manager this week, by oh the way, gosh, that after was, winning that like hundred games in a row. Insane. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. A little crazy. Um, but yeah, man, like for, for this team, as Jock Peterson said, after they clinched on game four, uh, this is a different team since the trade deadline. And I know they, they have lost some very key parts, and I think everybody would love Ron Acuna out there. Uh, Ronnie did get introduced in the pregame, which was pretty great to see, uh, which, was was, cool. which was nice and, and big, got a big cheer. But, uh, you know, this team has found ways to win. Uh, even just a couple of days ago, losing Jorge Soler the day they were going to go on to clinch the NLDS and being without him, we know how important he has been. If you would have told me that Eddie Rosario was going to be leading off game one of the NLCS and the Braves were going to win that game back in March, I would have told you you're crazy and what on earth happened to the season. Um, you know, they're on this crazy run and who knows where it's going to go. You still have you still have to win at least three more and to keep this train going. But what a run it's been. And, and tonight was very much the Austin Riley game. Of course, Freddie was the hero in game four. And then you, Jock Peterson and what he was able to do. Uh, it, it really has been fun to watch and, and for a team that has basically needed to win every single game since that final week in September, if they wanted to win the division uh, and then to keep winning in the playoffs, it's just been so much fun to watch and, and a testament to these guys who just keep on uh, just keep on finding ways to win. And, and for as many times as the Braves over the last, I don't know, 25 years have gone in as the, you know, as the favorites into a playoff series or they have all the star power, uh, not that this team is void of talent by any means, but they it's kind of that fun team that that everybody always seems to cling to is they just find ways to win game. And uh, for them to pull this one out tonight was big. And hopefully tomorrow night they're able to go up 2-0. It's well said. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, we are often the more analytical people on this show. And I think people that listen to us uh, probably don't hate that too much or they wouldn't listen as much. And we thank you for listening. But uh, sometimes it's just good to be, you know, just praise the team and they, they, they're playing great. And it's been a lot of fun. And tonight was a, you know, fun slash stressful game to bring it full circle from the beginning of the podcast. It was definitely a pull your hair out kind of game. It was tight the entire way. There were no big leads. There was, uh, there was some drama in Australia with, with, with a big knock at the end of the game. Uh, I'm tempted to make Braves fans super mad by pointing out that both 538 and Fangraphs have the Dodgers still favored to win the series. So it's just, hey. a little, just, just a little fuel at the end of the podcast. I'm not saying that we feel that way. I'm saying that the, uh, the nobody believed in us card is still able to be played by Brian Snicker, which I think is probably good. And I'm sure yeah. he will be talking about that still, that no one 
still no one look guys we won game one and no one's picking us still and that's going to be a good good fuel i think at the end of the day so yeah you know what print it off put it up on a big poster board and and stick it in the locker room and show everybody you're right i mean that stuff like that's always a little silly because at the end of the day it is but that, that's are, honestly that's 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 where snicker eats though like he he's, it is. he's well known for his clubhouse manager that's, that's his number one attribute everybody loves the guy and i'm sure is. he is uh using some of that stuff absolutely whatever it takes this time of year uh, you know, whatever you can do to get that little advantage, little edge. I'm sure the clubhouse was fired up after tonight's win. Um, you're right. I mean, shoot, I'll, I'll, I'll tweet the Braves that that very stat tonight and say, hey, give this a snitker for tomorrow afternoon. At Braves, please yeah, listen they... to the podcast and uh, check us out, please. <laughs> yeah, maybe retweet us. That'd be nice. That'd anyway. be very good. I would really appreciate an at Braves retweet. If anybody knows anybody that runs Brave Social, I actually have met them, but uh, I can't ask them to do that. So if uh, everybody else can, though, please at the Braves. Uh, if you like the podcast and want to share the podcast. In fact, it's that time of the uh, show when I beg you and plead to subscribe and rate and review and to share this podcast with your friends and family and coworkers and fellow Braves fans. We've been very busy, not necessarily me. I've actually been traveling as we talked about, but uh, shouts to Eric and Sean for hosting the preview podcast. Also, we had the SB Nation MLB podcast preview, uh, which dropped in our feed as sort of a bonus feature that featured our own Chris Willis as one of the voices on that. So it's been very busy on the podcast feed. Uh, Scott, thanks to you for doing this show. I'll be back with someone after game two, and then uh, we'll go we'll go from there. But we're going to be here basically every day uh, until this whole run is over. So it's a great time to subscribe to the podcast, and I really appreciate everybody that's already done that. Sincerely, it's been awesome to see, honestly, some of the numbers and uh, people jumping on board. So in addition to thanking you, Scott, I will thank everybody else. Yeah, it's, it's always fun to do these with you, Brad, especially when the Braves win. That's, that's what we aim fun. for on this podcast. Yes, it's much more fun after a walk-off victory than a you know a crushing loss but yes thank you to everybody who's been tuning in we we try to do these for you guys just uh you know this is like we say this is as good as it gets as a fan as someone who podcasts to write about writes about the team uh these games are really fun even if they are stressful but uh, we really do appreciate all your support and you guys tuning in and and sharing the podcast and all that good stuff so i hope everybody has a, a great rest of your I don't know your day, your night, whatever it is now. It is. it is now Sunday. Yeah. So if you're, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably listening to it between uh, 1 a.m. and the start of the game at 7.30 p.m. on Sunday. But if not, uh, thanks, for, thanks for listening to the show after game two. I don't, I'm not, you know, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, whenever. Whatever works. Well, Go back and listen to old podcasts. Uh, we definitely encourage uh, some cheating of the system by downloading old shows and subscribing and unsubscribing, all that stuff. That's all encouraged. Go ahead and do that to support the podcast. We really appreciate it. Yep, whatever um, it takes. It absolutely does. That's, that's the theme of this episode tonight. It's whatever it takes for the Braves, for us, for podcast, uh, I guess, malfeasance, whatever you want to do, whatever it takes to get there. So thanks thanks again to Scott. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. And check out the site as well, the written site, talkingchuck.com. There's plenty of content there. And we'll see everybody again after game two on Sunday evening. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.